Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. I'm your host. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church and not as usual. It's just you and me, Mary. That's right. Yeah, we lost our brother Nick. Where's Nick? Yeah, Nick's out doing mission work, so uh, you guys are stuck with us today. So if the sound quality sounds poorer, it's my fault. So uh, yeah. Anyway, it's good to be with you, and we're uh, we're actually in the process of building another new studio, so a little shout out to Julie and all her uh, her Keebler elves who are turning this space into just a spectacular place. Yeah. We really love it, huh? Yeah, they have a great team, Father John, called Broken to Beautiful, and this, broom, uh, this room was very broken. And it's <laughs> and, becoming beautiful. And they've transformed it beautifully, so. Yeah, we love you guys. We're grateful. So, hey, what's our topic today? I know we got a big one. So our topic today, Father John, is unity and the increasingly urgent mission of the church. Ooh, that sounds timely. Yeah, it is. And indeed it is. So as with all things, Father John, will you open us with prayer? Yeah, indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Lord, we come before you uh, right now, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We just ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to bless this conversation between Mary and myself that it would be edifying for us and for all those who are listening. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit in abundance upon the church, especially here in our own country, that we might be a sign and an instrument of unity in these days that we find ourselves, that you've destined for us to live in. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So why in the world are we talking about unity and the mission of the church? Yeah, seems like a timely talk, uh, given given that everything that's happening right now in the country. So we're obviously seeing a transition um, in our government where there's a lot of calls for unity. Mm. And um, quite honestly, I I think we're, we're, we're living in a time unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime and perhaps a time of more division than we've seen since the Civil War. Yeah, so right. you know, even as you're talking, I just want to make a quick note. Um, so this isn't intended in any way to be a political commentary. Absolutely That's not what not. we're about. Um, so just want to say that for the record. We really feel like the Lord uh, has put on our hearts uh, the need to pray for, uh, to talk about, and to work for real unity. And as we're going to see, that's something that uh, that really only God can do, right? So... This is this desire that we're hearing from people uh, in lots of different spheres for unity. It's a great desire, right? Like that's how God made us. Right. You know, like we've been we've been broken and disunited since the fall. Uh, man and woman, man and woman and God, man and woman and creation. Uh, and as certainly as we see in uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to unite people together who were divided, and uh, that's really what we want to talk about here today, right? Mm. So that in mind, like, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer at the beginning of this, but um, I just don't realistically see this happening outside of God's work. You know, like, I just don't, I don't think any president, doesn't matter who it is, you know, uh, or any political party can actually bring the unity that we truly desire deep in our hearts. They might be able to bring some kind of superficial unities, right? And, and I know you, me, your husband, Steve, we've been talking uh, on a number of occasions and in just different circumstances about, like, what is unity? I mean, because it's such a thing that's become a, 
a conversation point for the country right now. Like, what is real unity, and how do you get it, and what really unites us? And you know, like he and I would talk often. You know, uh, as a lot of men, you know, what unites a lot of men is sports. You know, like I'm a Lions fan. Yeah, we're, we're Chiefs, terrible. We're Chiefs fans. Yeah, you know, like go Chiefs. You know, how about them Chiefs? You know, and um, so things like that tend to unite us. And there's other things too, right? Yeah, um, whether it's your taste in music huh. or your taste in food or or uh, the clubs that you belong to, or or the city that you live, or your economic status. There's a lot of things that can look like unity. I'm Italian. Right? You're Italian. Wow, isn't that great? You know. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, um, but but to be honest, those those are really more common interests, or what we hold in common, yeah. right, Father? Yeah. Rather than right rather than something that we unite around, we may we may come together at a football stadium. Right. right, or we may come together um, around a certain event, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're united in the deepest core of our being around something that's more yeah, transcendent. And even maybe. family, you know, like family's at least supposed to be a place where we experience great unity. But I mean, let's be honest. Uh, tragically, um, how many families do we know that are less? Then united, right? Yeah, our families uh, are suffering our a lot of division, right. Right. right? So I know you uh, you were looking at a couple of definitions of unity and yeah. dictionaries and whatnot. What what do we find? Yeah, I think it's we think it's helpful uh, to just take a look at, at how the dictionary defines a set of words. And so Webster's dictionary defines unity as uh, the state or quality of being in accord or in harmony. Hmm, that doesn't sound like us right now. <laughs> no, unfortunately. And then the Oxford Dictionary says, um, defines unity as the state of being in agreement and working together. And I had a chuckle when I read that because um, there doesn't seem to be much that we agree on and there doesn't seem to me to be a whole lot that we're coming together to work together on. Right. Right? So, so I, I just think it's like... There is no vision statement. There's no long-term strategic plan. There's no agenda. There's no political party that's ever going to bring about real unity yeah. because that's just like that. That's like beyond us. Yeah, this Father. is so important. This is really the theme of the whole podcast, right? I'm like, this is beyond our doing. Only God mm. can do this, and we want to talk about why it is that he wants to do this, and he has been doing it in and through the church, that, which leads us to the topic at hand, right? The urgent mission of the church. So we've been talking a lot here. We've been writing in our Thoughts from the Trailer uh, weekly article a lot about missions, getting clarity on the mission, right? The mission of Jesus, like God became a man in order to do something, right? And we want to make sure that we know that. He sends us out as disciples in order to do something. Jesus founds the church in order to do what exactly? I don't, I don't know that we really grasp that, right? So what is the mission of the church? Which is to say, what is the mission of the people of God who have been, as Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? And so I found myself uh, digging back just uh, over the last week or so into the documents of Vatican II. Lumen Gentium. Yeah, so Lumen Gentium, Latin, mm. uh, means the the light of the world, right? Mm -hmm. But it, what it refers to is it's the it's one of the four major documents in the council on the on the role of the church, right? Right. And it, it says this, how the church in Christ is in the nature of a sacrament. 
assign an instrument, that is, of communion with God and of unity among all men. So, so, so to be clear, a sacrament. Yeah, I mean, there's right. so much in this little sentence, right? So let's try to unpack. What's a sacrament, right? So, so, so a sacrament um, is a sign of an invisible reality, right, instituted by Jesus that gives grace. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's lots of different definitions that we've learned. That's my favorite, a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Jesus that gives grace. I would love to, we got to do a podcast on marriage and how it is that marriage is a sacrament because this is so explosively life-changing when we grasp what it is as opposed to just memorizing a definition, which is right. what most of us did when we were children. So let's just take an example of that, right? So uh, the sacraments, the most basic thing about a sacrament is a sacrament is a sign, but it's a very particular kind of sign. It causes to happen what it signifies. So take baptism, for example. You know, like, what, is, what does water do? Well, it, it cleanses. Yep. Um, it can also, has the power to destroy. Yeah, I think floods, right? Right. And it also has the power to give, um, to give life. Yeah, so we were just traveling not too long ago, you, me, Nick, oh, Deacon gee. Steve, and you didn't have enough water for a couple of days, and the result was I you fainted. were struggling. I, I fainted on the plane. I got yeah. dehydrated, Be right? Because My body we, was in crisis. Yeah, I mean, we can go weeks without eating, actually. Not so much with water at 36,000. Yeah, you, you yeah. can only go hours without drinking. Right, so, so water is the visible sign. The invisible reality is these things are happening in the individuals getting baptized. They are being cleansed of their sin. The power of sin is being destroyed and they're being given the life that is the Holy Spirit, right? So what that document in Vatican II is saying is the church is like this. The church herself is in the nature of a sacrament. She contains and communicates the invisible grace that she signifies, which is to say she contains and she communicates the seven sacraments in the church, which it's really important to remember, right? The sacraments are not our right. works, they're God's works, right? Right. right? So we can say a lot more on the church and on unity. So let me just share with you uh, a couple of thoughts that have really struck me. So I came across recently, um, like today, as a matter of fact, um, Pope Benedict or Cardinal Ratzinger's little book called Called to mm -hmm. Communion, which I mean, the first two chapters alone are just so rich, rich yeah. and so worth reading right now, you know? And so he reminds us there that, so the roots of the church are obviously in the Old Testament because there's, there's just one long story that God is telling, right? It's not like these are two different unrelated stories. I mean, if, I, if I'm going to understand the role of the church and the mission of the church and who Jesus is and what he's done, I need to understand the Old Testament because there's continuity and radical discontinuity all at the same time. So the Latin for church is ecclesia, which really derives Ratzinger or Benedict, if you prefer, um, from the Hebrew word kahal, which we can understand as meaning the assembly of the people. And in a very particular way, it stems from the assembling of the people of Israel after God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and they are now gathered at Mount Sinai, where he gives them the covenant. He enters into a covenant with the people there. So in other words, he talks about how these are people who have been brought together. They've been united by a common experience of God doing something. God's rescued them from slavery. And now they're united around him. And he makes the point, he says, quote, the assembly gathers to listen 
to what God proclaims and to assent to it. So you were talking earlier, like oftentimes our unity is just common interest. This is so much more than that, right? And all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. And again, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, Cardinal Ratzinger, he says, Jesus came in order to gather what was dispersed. His entire work is to gather the new people. And and he, he stresses here that the point of convergence of this new people is himself. It's Jesus, huh? So these new people become a people. They become united solely through Jesus's call and their response to his call and to him. So I'm I'm listening. So so this is, for so many people, this is so radical and so hard to understand. But we can't stress enough that to say the church is the body of Christ, like this isn't just an image. This isn't something romantic. This This isn't poetry. Like this is... This is real. Yeah, this right? happened. This, this is, is a, reality. So I know. I think subjectively, like we don't feel all that united oftentimes in the church. We right? don't but, look that united sometimes. In no, the we'll church, talk about right? that in a second. But objectively, we are. That's, and and it happened primarily through two things, huh? It happened through baptism and it happens through the Eucharist. Amen. So when we're baptized, we are incorporated. Think of that word. How huh? we are put into the body. Of Jesus. We become one with him, filled with his Holy Spirit. And then the Eucharist too. So again, same book called to communion. Uh, Cardinal Ratzinger says, it's in the institution of the Eucharist that Jesus draws the disciples into his relationship with God, the Father, and therefore into his mission, which means the mission of the church is related to the mission of Jesus. And that mission is to reach the humanity of all places and of all times. So the disciples become a people, that is to say we become united through communion with the body and the blood of Jesus, which is simultaneously communion with God. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, Paul writes when he's talking about this, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, uh, the bread that we break is not, is it not the participation in the body of Christ? Because it is one bread, we, the many, are one body. Yeah, so again, that yeah. that sentence is, I mean, we sing that in a song, you know, like, one bread, one body. I mean, it's become this like blase, you know, kind of like whatever kind of song. It's a reality. Like, how is it that you and I got united as brother and sister? By baptism and the Eucharist. We're feeding on the Lord. And because we're feeding on the Lord and we've been incorporated into the body of Jesus, you and I experience a, a real union and so do all disciples. So in the church then, our communion with one another isn't rooted in a common interest. It's rooted in our union with God. So we are... Not only these objective things that have happened in in baptism and in the Eucharist, but subjectively, right? We're men and women whose lives have been, hopefully anyway, totally reoriented around Jesus, what he's done for us. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we live now no no longer for ourselves, but for him who for our sakes has died, right? Amen. You know, Father John, um, 
I think here's the challenge, or at least one of the primary challenges, is that we find ourselves today, we talk often uh, amongst ourselves, you know, that the church is crying. And so we're living in a time when the church herself seems to be suffering from a disunity and division. We're, we're less than united, right? Yeah, the, the church, I think, to people both in the church and outside the church, we look like just any other kind of grouping of people, which is to say we're just filled with divisions. And that is scandalous, right? It's just scandalous. So again, it's worth reminding ourselves that the church, I think that this for me, you know, like I try to think about how God has through the church by the power of his spirit, not by the, the our own efforts, right? But by the power and the movement of his spirit, because we're so used to thinking of the church as kind of a political body, we, we, maybe we didn't learn, maybe we forgot how the church played such an instrumental role in human history in uniting people who had been enemies mm. until God did something really remarkable, right? So the Roman Empire, the, the world ruler at the dawn of the church, um, used to like to talk about how, you know, Caesar had brought peace and unity but he didn't really bring peace and unity. I mean, it was a it was an imposed peace. You were at peace if you like listened to what the the empire the empire wanted. Otherwise, he would squish you, right? And there was really no unity. the The empire was a great thing for Roman citizens, assuming you were a male. But everybody else was, you know, second class or worse, and they were at risk in so many ways. And as the church began to grow from the moment of Pentecost, huh? Her unity in a very particular way, was so striking and attractive and threatening all at once, right? Yeah, we. I, one of our favorite verses comes from, um, from Acts 17, where um, uh, the leaders complain about Paul and that, that these men are turning the world upside down. Yeah. Uh, don't you love that? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be something if someone could say or a, a set of people could say that about Christians today, about us today? And the church really did that. I mean, the church literally, by God's grace, huh, turned the world upside down. I don't hear anybody saying that about the church right now. Like, hey, those Christians are really turning the world upside down. Thus, this topic and thus this urgent need for us to understand that our mission as disciples and members of the church is to do these things, to be a sign of and an instrument of unity. So again, we're going to keep beating this horse, right? This act of unity, this, this process of becoming one, this is an act of the Holy Spirit. Only God can do this. Why? Because only God can change our hearts. And it's the Holy Spirit who begins to dwell in us, who unites us to the mind and the heart mm. of Jesus. We, we were just talking about some stories, right? Because stories usually, stories are easier to remember than teaching, right? So we were just coming together with a couple stories, putting them on our board here just to think about, okay, like what are examples that most of us would probably know that help illustrate this? Yeah, so we talk often about our one of our favorite movies here, The Chosen, and we're, we're talking about the call of Matthew and just how, I don't know, off-putting that was to Simon. Why? Because, so for those of us who don't know Matthew and why that would have been, what was Matthew's profession? So he was a tax collector. And a tax collector, according to the Jewish people, was a... Thief. A traitor. 
Yeah, a thief and a traitor, right? So he's in he's in union with Rome, who is this occupying empire who's wreaking havoc on the Jewish people, right? right. And so he is, the way a, a tax collector worked is he paid all the fees up front to Rome, like in advance, and then he would charge taxes to the people and anything that he could collect above what he'd paid, he got the He pocket. held for himself. Yeah, and so he was considered to be somebody who was beyond redemption, this isn't just like, you know, some guy who works for the IRS. No offense to the people who work for the IRS. I don't think oftentimes we understand what a tax collector was for them. So that's Matthew. So who's, who's Simon or Peter or Andrew or James or John? What do they do? So they're fishermen. So they pay taxes, right? Right. Yeah. So suddenly... What happens in The Chosen? What's that scene we just love oh, so much? That's a great right? line. So you see Jesus and the disciples walking past the custom house where Matthew is sitting there doing his work, and Jesus is passed before that custom house a couple times. And by now we know very well like the relationship between Matthew and Simon. It's a beautiful portrayal. Like They don't like each other. They despise each other. Right. They, they do a beautiful job of setting up this scene. And it's at this time that Jesus invites Matthew to come and follow me. Right. And Simon's and, just and like, he just what goes, are you doing? What are you doing? Like, don't you know who this is? Like, like Jesus doesn't know who he is. Right. And um, so Simon's trying to pull Jesus aside. And Jesus has this great line. And I know y'all out there who have watched the film know this, because a lot of us wear it on this T-shirt that we have on. And Jesus tells Simon, get used to difference. Yeah, because Simon looks he, at Jesus and says, like, you know, like, but why are you calling him? And Peter or Jesus says something like, well, I called you. And Simon says, well, that was different. That's right. And Jesus says that get great line again, different. get used to different, right? Or think again of another example of Matthew. So Matthew, we just described what a tax collector is. He's a traitor considered beyond the reach of salvation. He's one of the apostles. At the same time, we have another Simon who's known as Simon the Zealot. Right, So Simon the Zealot doesn't just mean this guy had some really intense emotions. The Zealots were a party. They were So like uh, Barabbas was a Zealot. What Barabbas do? He killed people. So the Zealot party was trying to kill Roman soldiers and to do what they could by violence to get the empire out of Israel. So here's two people who would have seen themselves as absolute enemies. Enemies, right. And suddenly, as Pope Benedict said in Called to Communion, there's a point of convergence, and the point of convergence is Jesus, who's called them both, and now there's this remarkable transformation that takes place. All right, we have one more example, too. What's that one? Yeah, so I'm also thinking about um, Paul, St. Paul. He was complicit. He was, at the, he was at the murder of St. Stephen. And maybe even in charge of it. Um, and And... So Paul encounters Jesus, remember, on the road to Damascus, talking about having your life completely reordered. Everything changes for him. The Christians get word of this. They don't believe it. They don't trust him. So Barnabas has to vouch for Paul. Right. So, this, and, and then Paul says what? He says, all they, they didn't even know what I looked like. He says, all they knew was the one that was formerly persecuting us is now one of us. Right. So I think, you know, in the... Oftentimes we hear stories like this and we just think, well, this can't happen because we don't have experience tragically of the world getting turned upside down by seeing God work in people who used to be enemies becoming friends. And in these and so many other stories that we could talk about, right, what we see is we see repent 
repentance at work right after somebody encounters Jesus, which is to say people changed. We've talked about that before on, on uh, podcasts, I think. You know, the principle of the Christian life is you can change. I don't think we believe in the world we're living in right now. And tragically, I don't know that we believe in the church, that people can really change. And only by the power of God. Yeah. Only by the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. So they, they started to think in a brand new way, right? They, You know, like the way I think about repentance, it, it means, you know, like I used to be walking in that direction, and now I'm walking in this direction, right? Right. So, so what can we practically do with all this? Yeah, so um, maybe a couple things. So as you, as you all know, we're, we're keen on um, breaking open the Word of God. Mm. So soaking in the Word of God. And what does the Word of God do? Um, the Word of God convicts us, yeah. right? And so we just thought we'd toss out some passages um, for y'all to pray with, um, passages that have touched our hearts that we're praying with. You might want to grab a pen. We got 10 of them. Yeah, so I'll just kind of jump in there. Um, Philippians 2, verse 2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's what Father John was just saying a few minutes ago, one mind and one heart. Being of the same mind, having that same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Yeah, that, that one passage there, I mean, you're going to see, if you know Paul, this is a consistent theme in Paul's writings, he is constantly talking about the need to maintain unity. Acts 4.32 um, just describes that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Galatians 3.28, you know, we, we sing this in a song, but I don't think we really, I don't think we really get this. You know, like there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's not both male and female, because you are all one in Christ Jesus, regardless of your race or your gender or your ethnicity or your income level or your interest in sports or your musical ability or whatever, you are all one in Christ Jesus if you have been incorporated in, into him by baptism and are nourished by the body and the blood right. that we receive in the Eucharist, right? right? Father, that new creation. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You know, even as you're saying that, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, wouldn't that be great? And, and yet it's... No as, division. And I'm reading that. I'm remembering, well, Paul wrote that. Because there was division. That's right. And they weren't of the same mind. That's right. And so it gives me a little bit of hope for maybe what we're living in right now. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Mm. So two words, tenderness, just is that gentleness, that gentle heart, and of course, uh, humility. Mm. Ephesians uh, Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we've talked about this passage before. So this is a favorite passage of mine. This is not an image either. There actually was a dividing wall of hostility. It was a wall in the temple beyond which it said any Gentile who passed would be responsible for his own death. I mean, we, we hear Jew and Gentile all the time in the in the New Testament, and I just don't think we gather how much these people despised one another, right? Until they met Jesus, 
and then their lives converged because of him and what it is that he had done. Jesus' high priestly prayer, right, in John 17, he's praying over and over again for unity. Two verses, verse 11, verse 23. He prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's just worth pondering. Like, what kind of unity exists between the Father and the Son? Is it a superficial unity? Is it a common interest? No, this is radical unity, right? Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We were talking earlier about how our lack of unity is a scandal. Right. It causes people to trip. Right. Here's why, right? right? When, when they see us divided with each other as Christians, what is special about you? Yeah, and it makes it more different. difficult to believe that the Father loves them That's right. and that he sent Jesus. Yeah, it's a radical signpost of the Christian life. Um, Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 13, and Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity mm. of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, and, and then earlier on, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, this will be our last passage. I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager, he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all. Mm. So, you know, like, like you said, Mary, the, the scriptures convict us. So we offer these as a kind of an examination of conscience for us. And they also heal us. Like the word of God is healing and it, it can expose what it is in my own life that needs to get touched. Uh, and maybe that, that triggers a couple other things that we can maybe ask ourselves, right? As uh, Yeah, just that examination of conscience. I was thinking about this as we were praying through uh, what the message was going to be today on podcast. And um, I found myself asking, like, am I a sign or like, am I an instrument of unity, like mm. in my sphere of influence? And it, it's probably easier to ask the spirit to reveal to me where I'm not. You, right? you're always a sign of unity. <laughs> you know me better than that. Okay, maybe not always. <laughs> right. And, and so, so, so God wants to use us, right, as instruments in his hands so ask him to show us like where we're where we're not um, um, where we're not yielding to the spirit's movement in our lives, mm. and and I know where I'm not. I know what my first inclination is oftentimes, and so trust that the spirit's going to reveal that uh, yeah. to us. And certainly one of the ways to to create unity, right, is is to preach the gospel, which is power. Um, and we do that by the way we live and in what we say, and, and we keep harping on this right now, and, and it's how we say what we say. You know, like, we just keep, I feel like we're banging this drum, but we cannot, as disciples of Jesus, imitate the world and how they talk. 
which, which doesn't mean we have to be nice, right? Jesus wasn't nice. Nice comes from a Latin word, which means, um, right. uh, what's it mean? It means ignorant. You know, like, so Jesus wasn't nice. He was kind. So I'm not saying that we need to be nice, but we have to be kind. You know, we, we have to confront, and we're probably going to have to confront a lot <laughs> in the time ahead, but, but I have to do it in and with love. So charity and respect. We talked about, I think, uh, that last week. And, and another thing that I was convicted of, Father, as we were talking about this today was, um, I don't know that I pray in earnest for unity. So, mm-hmm. so I, I pray for the unity of all Christians in a morning offering. But that almost becomes a line for me. But to earnestly pray, to get on my knees, to pray that the Holy Spirit would truly descend upon this nation yeah. in a powerful and mighty way. My confessor gave me that as a penance the other day. Really? Yeah. He said, I don't know what your political stance is. He says, I really don't care. But uh, I'm going to ask you to, you know, when you celebrate Mass and in your prayer, um, just pray for unity, mm. which is to say, Lord, we can't do this. It's one of my favorite prayers, right, from a friend who taught it to me. Lord, I can't. You can Please, Please do. do. And you know, we often talk about uh, here in Acts 29 that we have unshakable confidence in Jesus Christ. There's no reason for us not to be asking Jesus to bring this about by the power of his Holy Spirit. Yeah, and again, we're just going to keep uh, going back to that simple point we've said many times before that you and I, we don't just happen to be alive right now in the midst of everything that's going on in our country. Like God willed for us to be here right now. And he's brought us into the church because he wants to use us. He wants to, despite, you know, like my brokenness, selfishness, stupidity, on and on and on, like somehow he can use me, he can use us all uh, to accomplish his desire, which is to gather all of his children together in his son. Because this is true. Don't be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. 